0: Tonight is the third talk in a series of the first four steps of the Eightfold Path. I had originally said that we would have the next four steps in December, and since I uh, since then I've looked at my schedule, and it's a little too uh, compact to be able to offer that, but uh, relatively soon in the first of the year we'll put out a schedule and we'll have the next four steps. So uh, you're, we're only halfway through the journey of the eight steps uh, for this series, but I hope people are doing the homework and applying themselves um, wholeheartedly to this endeavor because truthfully the first sermon that the Buddha ever gave and the last sermon he ever gave contained the Eightfold Path. So he obviously thought it was important enough to come in and go out with it. and. It's important for all of us to see the importance of this. It really contains, welcome, it really contains the uh, the uh, essence of of the effort and uh, awareness and application that's necessary in order for us to um, come to full in fruition on this path. And if I could just use the analogy of the raft again as I have every week and with the understanding that this is a poor analogy in many ways, which we'll understand just a little later in this talk, but it also has some usefulness and that you're on the left bank, let's say, of the left bank in Seattle fits, doesn't it? So we're on the left bank of the river and uh, you you have a sense that there is another shore that you can go to. And the view, the right view or the first step, is, is having that concept, that understanding of your mind that this is not it, this isn't all. The sense of limitation, of loneliness, of isolation, of dissatisfaction is not what life is about. And so even though we're seeing at that time through the view of that uh, pain, still we get a sense that there's another bank that we can go. And with right intention, we say, okay, I want to go to that bank. That's the way I want to travel. I want to see if I can intimate that freedom, access it. And then the activity starts, does it not? Because you can't just stand on the other bank wishing wishing to cross the stream. You have to get in and start paddling And you can begin to see that there's effort involved and activity. So this manifestation of you and intention begins to come into activity, into fruition, through the actual motion and movement uh, of our practice. And I think that's a, a useful analogy in the sense that everything has to be there in order to get the raft across. You can't just say, view is sufficient and I'll just practice the view or you stay on the other side of the of the river nor can you say I have every intention of going over there and never doing anything about it that obviously is hopeless as well and yet you can't get into the raft and just start paddling any direction you have to hold and sustain where it is the view of where it is that you're going to and also the intention so you can begin to see that the Eightfold Path is a consummation of activity and process and view and intention and all of these different strands. It's like the, the basis of a rope are the separate strands. And although you can separate the strand, the rope is all strands together. And that is really what the practice of meditation is. It's the interrelationship of all these pieces and each are dependent upon the next. I think uh, we do a disservice uh, to the Eightfold Path when we say, OK, this week I'm going to practice right speech. It's as if you're pulling a strand of the rope out and trying to practice that. And what you'll find is that when you do that, when you have that, that intention to practice each strand separately without all of the, the whole path at the same time, it will actually come back in at you. It it can actually uh, cause uh, psychic damage. And let me explain how it is that I mean that. For instance, if you decide you wanted to practice right speech, which is a noble intention, but you haven't in any way altered your view of life to fit that noble intention, so you still feel very separate from things and a very at-odd with yourself in comparison evaluation and all the judgments that come in every time you slip up in your right speech that's going to come back in as a self-judgment oh I failed again, I can't do it what's wrong with me on and on and unless you bring right view with us with you into right speech then that judgment is an inevitably, inevitably going to harden the very Uh, sense of self-itself. You see? So just to say, okay, right livelihood is what I need to do. So what is right livelihood? Without looking at the whole display of this miraculous, noble teaching is really um, to uh, just focus on the mouth of a charging lion and forget about its claws. We have to take the whole animal into account here everything. So um, we're going to talk predominantly about right speech today, but I want to introduce right speech through right view and right intention. Because, again, it's dependent upon those. Now, the reason I think that the analogy of the raft is, is only so good is because Um, it projects freedom as something outside of oneself outside somewhere else other than where one stands and we have to make a basic assumption here and a leap of faith that there is inherent freedom moment after moment accessible right here and we choose to distort that freedom by assuming the view of separation Now that's a very different way of saying it and talking about practice than saying there is something I need to achieve in order to be free. And what we're saying here that it's just a view of life, of separation, a view of of objects and subjects and me and you and this and that and the whole strategies of life that come in in relationship to that view, including judgment and evaluation and all of that, that is the problem. Not who we are in this moment. Not inherently who we are. So now the raft all of a sudden, and the the left bank and the right bank are don't have quite the same distance apart from one another. And the whole relationship of what it means to be free is... is different. And in fact, you remember the story about Nisargadatta Maharaj when he said to me, give up your assumptions about separation and be free. That's one way you can do it. Or you can work out your freedom in terms of practice and spend lifetimes doing that. The choice is yours. And he was talking about that very very thing. And so the view of how we hold life is essential to how we look upon our selves and who we are. It's what we take life to be. And it's an assumption, not reality. When we wake up in the morning, we assume as we open our eyes, I am here, you are there, I have all the needs and wants and desires and fears associated with that picture, with that perspective. Those are assumptions that we keep manifesting moment after moment establishing that view that the bank is across the river i've got to get up and meditate now if we look at the eightfold path in terms of that view of distance of separation then we also look at it as a piecemeal project as well now i have to do this now i have to do that And in fact, the Eightfold Path is not a formula for success. It's not like a Stephen Covey's Seven Steps to Successful Living. <laughs> it's, that's a fender repair. This is a complete way of being in the world. A complete perspective. And the Eightfold Path takes us into that perspective because it calls upon every aspect of your mind and body experience to be aligned with that perspective. Everything that you do, from your actions to your livelihood to your intentions in life to your speech, how we manifest, how we are, how we address the world, moment after moment, all aligned up, everything, And then the view becomes an intention and our intention from right view is to heal and to connect, is to bring things together, is to manifest through our intentions what the view, the view of connection the view of connection and that of course brings a whole different way of relating to our inward and outward experience even though it may not be so easily seen that view of connection of connectedness to have faith that that is the way we're going and that that is more fundamentally the reality of things than our view of separation and to act with the intention that that view is truer even though we may not see it as we look out from our eyes and so when there is an opportunity as i mentioned last week in which there's an argument and a period of um, conflict between two people maintaining that sense of connection is all important even in the midst of a disagreement, because if you can stay connected, you maintain that view, you maintain the rightness, you maintain the orientation to the truth. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't get yourself out of abusing situations. It doesn't doesn't mean any of the things that we normally mean when we say connected. It means that the heart remains open to the person and not closed off. You haven't dismissed or negated the person. But there's still inclusion, not exclusion. And that is the Eightfold Path. Inclusion, not exclusion. Never exclusion. Nothing is ever excluded. Think of all the things that we exclude in our life. We turn away from. But the view of inclusion is the blue view that we are part of all. And so how can we exclude any aspect of that? In Taoism it said that in the crowd of a thousand there is one pickpocket, but the Tao wouldn't be the Tao without the pickpocket. Mm -hmm. So everything is part of this view, which means that we have to develop right relationship, connection, connectedness to every aspect of our being. You see? So now it begins to make sense why when we're sitting and we have anger or fear or a sense of impatience or frustration, why it isn't that we just can't negate or dismiss that aspect of ourselves because that contains as much of the truth as any of the love or friendship or benevolence that we also hold it's all a part of the truth and so i somehow have to allow that i have to develop right relationship to that i have to stay connected to that to that aspect of myself to my fear to my passion to my lust to my shadow. Because that's the truth of things. And so as we get through these things, we begin to, it begins to make sense. The whole Dharma begins to unfold around this Eightfold Path in terms of its vision and its broader implications, in terms of our actions. I mean, if we're not going to dismiss any aspect of ourselves, Can we dismiss some aspect of someone else? Can we turn our back on whatever it is that we feel they're doing? Which, again, does not mean that you don't set limits for yourself and boundaries, and you don't take yourself out of harmful situations, and that you don't get out of an abusing relationship. It does not mean that you don't act skillfully. But we take responsibility for the internal reactivity that we are feeling in relationship to all of these events. And we heal ourselves to that because the greater sense of the Dharma is a sense of healing to all of the aspects of ourselves that remain so fractioned and individuated and separated. From So if we look at right speech, we may say, "Okay, I need to to start speaking correctly. (laughs) But if we don't have the view of of why we do that, if we don't have the understanding of why it is that we're trying to speak correctly, we've lost the other shore. And we're just out there paddling in circles. because right intention only works from right view. And if we are lost in our separation and we say, oh, I should speak correctly, then there's going to be a judgment when we don't and a moralism, a moralism when we don't. And that's going to come back and solidify and harden the sense of self. And so it's going to actually create a distance from the other shore, not a movement towards. We end up reinforcing the very shame from which the behavior came from. And only a new view can end that self-abuse feedback loop. You know, Many of us wait for the end of our unworthiness, for the end of our doubt, for the end of that. Instead of including it now in the view, it's part of me part of me this is it I don't like myself it's part of me that's it but in the view then it's just part of me it's not even part of me it's just part of what is for to say it's part of me means that it has some relationship to me as opposed to you but it's just a part of everything And so we don't wait for the end of self-doubt. We don't wait for the end of our unworthiness to manifest the confidence and faith that's needed in the Dharma. We go out and walk amidst the storm of our own inward confusion, amidst the screams of our own self-abuse. Because we haven't lost the view. We haven't lost the sight of it. And this, too, is part of it. This, too, is it. This, too, is me. This I am. I am this. An insight meditation, the process of insight meditation, the reason we practice this practice is because insights give us direct perception of that new view. They be- They awaken us. It's as if they were looking out of a frosted, covered piece of glass, and every once in a while the sun dries a little hole and we can see out. We say, wow, it really is true, and then all of a sudden it gets fogged back. And insight reaffirms or reconfirms the faith that we're walking in the right direction. That there is something more to life than what we think it to be than what we perceive it to be that this is an assumption as you look out as we look out of our eyes right now we're making an assumption we're holding life outside of ourselves in an assumption by assuming a certain thing by assuming a certain perspective in it all see i think this is very exciting i hope (laughs) It's very interesting. So, how do we, what do we do? What tools are available for us? When we find ourselves lost in wrong intention or unwise attention, intention or unwise view, we can't judge it. That's just the old view working on the new. That's lower level trying to get to the higher level. It doesn't work. But there is a way. And that is the tool of investigation, of saying, what's going on here? What is this? What is this problem? What, why do I feel so dissatisfied at the moment? Why do I feel so lonely? Why, what is this? And when we just open ourselves up to the problem at hand, all of a sudden we begin to see without being aversive, without trying to hold on or push away, then the new view comes in just through our ability to listen and to open and to orient ourselves to a learning approach, to being receptive and looking and seeing what this is in me. And so we question the view that we're facing, question the assumption, is this right? Could this be it? Is there you and me? Who am I? What is this? And from that, a whole strategy of life comes in, in which I feel, oh, I need to, I need to stay connected here. You see, a whole different way and relationship of, of being comes in. It's like the laws of the universe change. And it's actually interesting because there's a man, an Englishman named Rupert Sheldrake, who says that the physical laws that we take to be the physics, the physical laws of the universe, are are actually mutable laws, are laws of assumption rather than laws of fact. And that when you change your view, other laws come into being, which can explain miracles. Because someone who is not fixed on me and you is free to operate with new laws of the universe, and so there's a whole sense of strategies of an internal processes that go on in relationship to that new view as well. So you all of a sudden want to stay connected, connect, co- connecting, and healing, and just the warmth of heart of staying involved, and you begin to see life as as part of oneself as a greater manifestation of, the, of what life is. Not separated off from me, but inclusive of me. And so there's not to. And we mention that just to say, when things arise, not to, not to. Just not to. And so we relax rather than fight. We receive rather than assert. Heart, rather than mind. Heart becomes the central. But rather than mind, because all mind does is reconfirm the old view. And to be, rather than to seem. Esa quam vadiri is the state motto of North Carolina. Isn't it amazing the facts that stay with you? I went to school in North Carolina. So always, that struck me, though, even uh, when I was in my early 20s. I, to be rather than to seem. And since the truth is that we are already connected, it is not a question of trying to connect. It's a question of dropping the barriers to the existing relationship. It's not as if we have to connect to things, because the truth is that we're already connected so even as we so we don't have to put forth a lot of effort to connect we just relax we let go of what keeps us from being connected you see the whole you see how the strategies change all of a sudden it's not something that that's this prize that i'm going after that i'm going to attain and achieve and all that's from old view it's something you receive it's something that comes to you the bank left bank and right bank have never been split apart and we can just let that go those assumptions that self improvement because the view affirms that and insights affirm that all along the way and there's such there can be such enormous joy when you begin to access that view. Because a whole level of burden just drops away. Sometimes you can physically feel it drop away. And the art of living then becomes one of listening. Of listening. And yet, there's speech. So where does speech come in there? Well, speech, if you think of it, the words we use create the view we see. Even words like you and I and this and that and objects and everything that we talk, how we say, what we, what we label the world, can produce a kind of distance to it. And so we begin to really investigate and look at our speech very, very carefully with a lot of sincerity so that we don't want to create verbal separation where there isn't separation. And so we take responsibility where we haven't before. So instead of saying, you make me angry, instead of the uh, usual way we blame and point fingers, the whole thing is received in a different way. And so right speech comes from right view. I mean, can you imagine if we were to see the connection, connectedness, how much judgment and internal evaluation and comparison would fall away immediately? What is there to compare? And we sustain those assumptions through our speech. We continue to manifest that view through our verbal representation of the world. Now, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden I don't say I anymore. And I've heard teachers say the speaker is this. or Or one doesn't. But anything, speech by its very nature, has that sense of... There is an awful lot that we can focus in on in speech. And Shard is actually very skilled in communication. So our speech has to maintain that sense of connectedness, that sense of healing, that sense of inclusion, that sense of, of, of a bridge rather than a divide. So I wouldn't worry, you see, if many people come to us, to the Vipassana teachers on retreats and they're, they see judgment, just uh, judging, 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 constantly judging. But what does that have to do with the new view? You see, you don't have to worry about it. It's, not, it's nothing. It's nothing. Don't worry about it. It's only a worry if we're in our old view and it's me and you. And then you're never going to get rid of judgment because the very fact of seeing in that way creates the judgment. So that's, as long as we're from the old view, that's the way that we're going to operate, through judgment and comparison and evaluation and distance and all of the different measurements. But if I can just bring forth a sense of inclusion, This is just an assumption, me and you, just an assumption. Hi, I don't like you, you're no good, I'm no good, we're no good together in this. (laughs) So, what about speech? You see, I think we have to understand where speech comes from in us and how it is that we are frightened of this new view and how we try to fill the spaces of words to keep this new view at bay. It's an active and assertive process. We think that we're going to sort of be run over into this kind of homogenized vanilla of the universe if we let go of our individuation. And so silence scares us. To be quiet, for God's sake. My worst fear is to be empty. Because emptiness, to me, is like desert, right? It's the worst possible scenario of spiritual work. But emptiness is joy, ironically. And we can only access those intimations of emptiness through silence. And so, but most of us, when we're in, the first thing we want to do is to fill our world with noise. In the car, we turn on the radio, we do this, a record play, anything. Just keep my, keep me responding and stimulated. Because the fear of silence, of emptiness, really, of seeing the world in a different way. And words have such an enormous power in themselves. I mean, we have to respect how the word goes out and moves. And I love the image that someone once said in a Dharma talk that I obviously noted. He said it's like you go up to the top of a a cliff with a uh, pillowcase full of feathers, and you just empty the feathers out into the cliff, of the air around. And wherever they fall, that's like what your words do when you speak. There's no way to bring them back. There's no way to gather them together again. And things that we say in speech, or we give ourselves the willingness and permission to say in speech are things we would probably never do in action. I'd like to kill you. How many times have we said that to somebody? And We give ourselves permission to spread those feathers, but we don't take responsibility in the same way as we take responsibility for our actions, for somehow the action seems to be more of a commitment. But actually the word is the basis on which most action is is founded. You see, if you think of the mind as being essentially empty. And then the thought comes. It's the first manifestation from the formless to the form is thought. And then from the thought, there's an intention. And then from an intention, there is speech and action. You can see how the world is made manifest. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And actually, in every moment, the beginning is the Word the word of the mind, the word of the thought. And we create that sense of heaven and hell moment after moment. Moment after moment we create the view. And so, I don't care, I don't want to live in that world, right? I mean, whatever brought you here tonight, let that empower you to say, okay, enough of that. I've had enough of that. I've lived 40 years of that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do it. I don't care. I don't know about this new view he's talking about, but it sure as hell sounds better than the old one. (laughs) Let me just commit myself to that. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? Connectedness, affection, caring, compassion, kindness, patience, listening, inclusion. Is there a word there that somehow scares you out of your? Well, how about the other one? The old strategies. Envy, jealousy, judgment, comparison. You want that one? (laughs) Well, so it's okay. I don't know. I don't know. But let let me just, and yet there's some intimation. I know there's some intimation in you. Somewhere in your heart, something there resonates with it. It's got to or you wouldn't be here. So go with that. Do the homework. Take this thing and make it a serious journey for you. Damn it! I'm not going to die with this. I'm not going to die with this. I'm going to make it work for me. Now how do I do that? Go to the Eightfold Path. It's there. A magnificent teaching! It just keeps getting deeper. What, I mean, a whole level of understanding came to me just when I decided I was going to make a, a talk on this. I started looking deeper into. I mean, the connectedness of it all. I was treating it as separate little links, and I even did us We did a class a couple years or several years ago on a right speech, didn't we? Nothing else, just right speech. But I can't do that anymore, you see. The evolution, stand. I mean, we could do it, but we would have to include view and intention and everything else in it. Because that's beginning to integrate. It's beginning to actually come to bear into our integration of our soul, of of our cells, of our body. And because we're connected, because we are connected with everything, there's nothing to fear. If you aren't connected, there's plenty to fear. And so why not? Act totally from that view. Just for a day, try it out. I'm going to wake up and when my eyes open me and you assumption that's assumption just a view don't get lost in it let the view be freed from its isolated position just let it be there but don't let it form the world for us and so we can just look out just let that let it float still comes in me and you still comes in but it's just an assumption, and we do everything we can to stay connected, to stay, to continue to resonate, to feel our heart connectedness. And so we look for ways to uncover our love and our affection and our compassion and our and our caring. We look for that because we know that that is a genuine and truer statement. Than our aversion, separation, and distancing, and certain aspects of the aspects of the world and certain jobs bring that out in us, and so li- right livelihood is a manifestation of that whole view. So I wish us all a journey across the the lake.